This morning, I want to invite your attention to Isaiah chapter 7. Open your Bible there. We'll come to the passage in just a moment. But I want to just thank so much Jonathan and Courtney for serving faithfully, for answering the call of God. And I want to point your attention to something that's in your worship guide today. Today begins the Advent season, but it also begins our 2021 Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And while Canada is considered North American missions, obviously it's a multicultural, unique mission field there in Toronto. We want to pray for them. They are a part of our worldwide mission offering. And as a church, each and every week, we challenge and encourage everyone to give to two streams. Give faithfully to the ongoing work of the church through your tithes. And then in an offering, we would encourage you to give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering through our worldwide missions offering. That simply means this, that every single week you can give to missions. And a portion of that supports international missions. But when we come to Christmas time, we just simply set aside time for a very special offering. So there's an envelope there. There's also a prayer guide that will lead you this week to pray for Southern Baptist missionaries that are serving around the globe. So hopefully by now you've found Isaiah 7, and we're going to begin our Advent series, God With Us. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever heard or seen one of those stories where somebody gets stranded at sea? They get thrown overboard, and and it's a, a terror. I would imagine that most of us would probably be pretty frightened by that prospect. Well, I ran across a book recently, and it was a fascinating story. The book is called A Speck in the Sea, and the, the subtitle is A Story of Rescue or Survival and Rescue. It's the story of two lifelong friends, John and Anthony, John Aldridge and Anthony Sosinski. And they were longtime commercial fishermen. They fished together uh, for years and years. They knew each other's system. They'd worked together for a long time. And so for any of you fishermen out there, a story like this probably will begin to raise your attention. It was the summer of 2017, so just a few years ago, they set out from Long Island, Mantock, Long Island in New York, and they were about 40 miles offshore. Anthony was sleeping in the boat, as he often would do. They would take turns because they would fish for crabs and lobster overnight, and so he's sleeping below deck, and John starts getting everything ready. And at a specific point in their journey, John would always begin to fill the live wells. He would fill the tanks. And one of the things he had to do to fill the tanks was to pull a cooler out of the way. And to pull it, he grabbed this wooden handle with a hook, and he began to pull with all of his might. And as he was pulling, the handle snapped in half, and he flipped overboard backwards. So he falls into the icy waters of the Atlantic. As soon as he surfaced, he began screaming for help, but he knew that there was no possibility that Anthony would hear him. The boat was on autopilot, set for a destination in their fishing zone, and he knew that he was in trouble. He watched the boat crest over a wave, and then it seemed as quickly as it had thrown him out, he saw the boat was gone. Well, it's interesting. As soon as he surfaced, he began to realize there, treading water in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean without a life vest, thinking this, this is the day and this is the way that I'm going to die. He was alone and worried. He, he said it was interesting that he was floating. Re, listen to these words. I'll put them on the screen. I am floating in the middle of the night and nobody in the world even knows that I'm missing. Nobody is looking for me. You can't get more alone than that. You can't be more lost 
I would say as a side note, there are people in Toronto that nobody's looking for until now. And we'll pray that you find them. We'll pray that the Lord finds them. There are people in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and there are people in Lamar County, and there are people all throughout the state of Mississippi who are lost. And if we're not concerned with looking for them, we're like John Aldridge out there in the sea. But let me just continue. Can you imagine what that would have felt like? I mean, if there's ever been a hopeless situation, here's a guy in the middle of the Atlantic, no life vest, and nobody knows he's gone. While he was trying to calm down, he realized that his, bo- his boots kept floating upward. They were booing. And, and he would take those boots and find that that would give him a, a glimmer of hope. He pulled one of them off and pulled it up into the air, plunged it into the water and created an air pocket and realized it would float. And so he pulled out both of his boots and he put one boot filled with air under each arm and he was able to stay afloat as he flipped them over. He called it a a flicker of hope. John said, I thought of my family and the fact that no one anywhere even knew that I was missing except for the sharks that began to circle around where I was. John said these words, I began to set goals, and my very first goal is I want to survive till morning. I just want to live through the night. Can you imagine parceling out in your mind at least that, just saying, if I've got any hope at all, I just want to get through the night. And so he began to to pray toward that. Four hours later, Anthony, his first mate, woke up and realized John was gone. He saw the broken handle, and so he knew approximately where he would be, and he called the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard commander later said in the book that I gave no hope of finding him in that much open water after all that time. A few hours passed and he was no sign of help for him. He finally spotted a fishing buoy and he was able to climb on top of it. And within an hour, a Coast Guard helicopter came over the top, spotted him flailing and splashing and waving. They lowered a basket down. A Coast Guard diver jumped into the water, helped him into the basket, and he actually survived. These are real pictures from the event that actually happened. They're making a movie out of this book, A Speck in the Sea. But I want you to think about this. It's pretty incredible. He never lost his sense of humor. When the diver got to him, he said, we've been searching for you for nine hours. And he said, yeah, I've been looking for you for 12. So (laughs) miraculously, he lived. What an amazing story. And what an amazing hope. I just began to reflect as I was reading in the book these thoughts. If I was out there bobbing in the water, and probably most of you, if you were out there bobbing in those frigid waters, you would give up hope. I I know that I probably would. Maybe I would set a goal and say, okay, if I can make it through the night. But as I see the sharks and I feel the hypothermia and I recognize ain't nobody coming my way, I would think that those minutes would turn into decades and those hours would seem like eternity. But hope is kind of like that. I mean, he had a sliver of hope with his boots. He found a a ray of hope in the buoy, and then he saw ultimate hope as he came to the the visual aid, or he came into the visual sight of the helicopter. I mean, hope just began to emerge in his heart. And think about this with me. Hope is like that. It's sort of the whisper that says, maybe, just maybe, these boots will float. Maybe, just maybe, they know semi where I am. Maybe, just maybe. But here's my question to you today, Hardy Street, before we even get to our text. What is hope in your life? I had somebody tell me after Katrina, hope was the light of the very first candle lit after the power had gone out. That brought me just a glimmer 
of hope. Hope, perhaps, is the first day you wake up and you can breathe again after an awful cold. Hope is the percentage chance that the doctor gives you that you may be able to beat the cancer. For one, hope is the small, faint line on the stick when you've been trying for years and struggling to get pregnant. It's the first day of sunshine after a long, tearful, dark, difficult night. Hope is the first soldier to land on the beach. If you begin to think about this, hope is the words from the doctor, she's going to be okay. Hope is a flicker of maybe, just maybe. Somebody has said that hope is the fuel of faith and of dreams, but today we're going to talk about biblical hope, and it's radically different than those descriptions. Hope is the very first thing that we celebrate during Advent, which is a season of hope, a season of anticipation. And actually, the word itself means coming or of arrival. And the season is marked by expectation. We wait. We anticipate what God has done and what God is going to do. If you'll think about this with me, it links past, present, and future. We look back and we join in with centuries of believers that were longing for God to do what he had promised, that he would send hope, that he would send the Messiah, and the Messiah surely will come. He promised it. He said it would be so, and we long for him to come through. And we join in. And then when Jesus arrived, we recognize now the fullness of that story. And we see with overwhelming sense of gratitude that we get to look back with anticipation to celebrate the fact that Jesus came to the world. But we also look forward. We look forward in anticipation to him coming again. And with Jesus Christ promised to come again, now Advent links our past, our present, and our future. And it offers us the opportunity to share in that ancient longing. And it offers us the opportunity in an active, assured, and hope-filled way to wait. What I would say to you, Hardy Street, in a season of frenzied busyness, Advent's an opportunity to set time aside. It's an opportunity for you and for me to begin to set time aside so that we can prepare our hearts and ultimately help us place our focus where it needs to be on a far greater story than our own, the story of Jesus. And as we do that, we'll begin to see Advent's not a season for pretending or covering up. It's not just an extension of the Christmas season. No, it's a very legitimate time of preparation. And so for us... I invite you into this season to begin to ask questions and maybe even to struggle as we take time for preparing our hearts for Christ's coming. Somebody said this this week, Advent is simply a celebration of the fact that God comes, that God draws near. Max Lucado said it this way, it's not the fact that he comes to fix everything. It's not that he comes to fix broken computers and broken marriages and broken lives. No, we just celebrate the fact that he comes. And the fact that he comes, God with us. Say those three words with me. God with us. Say them again. God with us us. That ought to be riveting in your heart. It ought to bring such an overwhelming explosion of joy as you consider. He didn't come just to fix things. He came to be the fix. He is the remedy for all that he with us all of a sudden restores what God had intended from the beginning. You know the story. God walked with Adam and Eve. He walked with them freely and openly, and they enjoyed intimacy. Humanity enjoyed his presence, but they chose sin. 
And in their rebellion, God and humans were separated. And in that separation, they began to long for wholeness and for healing. But you need to realize this. This is the story of the entire Bible. That God, from that moment till now, has been working and moving us toward redemption. Moving us toward reconciliation. Moving us toward restoration and wholeness. You see, the result of their rebellion, the result of their sin is the absolute chaos that you and I see every day. It's the brokenness that we understand far too well. Broken relationships, broken finances, broken health, broken dreams, the brokenness of our lives and the longing of something more comes from the rebellion of sin. Separation. Really, as we think about this overarching story, I I want you to jot it down this way. I, I think the whole Bible could be called the long journey of hope. God, from the beginning, began to promise hope. I want to give you just a few verses. I think I've written the references down there a little later in your listening, God. But in Genesis 12, God comes to one man, Abraham, and he promises to him four things. I'm going to make you a great name. I'm going to make you a great nation. I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And then he said in Genesis 12, 3, I'll bless everyone through you. It was a promise of Jesus, a promise of Messiah. All the way back in Genesis, we see God saying there's coming a day that hope will emerge all the way back and the long journey didn't just start or stop there in Genesis 28 I love this he encounters Jacob at Bethel he renews the covenant he reinforced the hope that God would give to all who would trust him and he says these words I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised Genesis 28, 15. What a beautiful picture. But think about it. Lots of time passed. Years. Generations. Centuries. And if you think about that, over and over again as this time is passing, we humans are a pretty impatient breed, are we not? Anybody in here pride themselves on their patience? There's a few of you. That's good. The cry of the people was this, how long, O God? You think about this, from the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the days of David and Solomon and Isaiah and Zechariah and all of the other prophets, it's unbelievable to think there's this repeating history of devotion to God and then neglect. They would love him and then they would hate him. They would love him and then they would leave him. And there was prosperity and then there was ultimately depression and there was recession. There was feast and literal famine. And what I'm saying to you this morning, even before we really get into our focus, just as an introduction, is this, that they are no different than we. We're no different from them. We are so similar in this. When times were good, they would thank God for a little while, but then they would begin to forget him. And as they forgot him, when times got bad, they would cry out in desperation, longing for hope. You see, we put our hope in the things that God gives so often when he blesses us that we lose sight of the fact that his presence is the blessing. Now, as we move forward, we began to think that there's this deep and ongoing longing for God to fulfill his promise in their life, a covenant promise of Messiah. And that wasn't just a happy idea that drifted in and out. They staked their lives on it. They said, 
our God will come through. Our God will send Messiah. Our God will deliver us. He will break through at some point. And there's this man right in the middle of this long journey named Isaiah. And it brings us to where we are today. Bible scholars call him a major prophet. And the reason that he's major and not minor is the amount of writings that he did, not the, the content or the quality. It's no more important a message than the minor prophets. But Isaiah wrote a lot and he spoke a lot. Isaiah was famous in his day, all right? I won't say that he was popular. He was not. He often told them things they didn't want to hear. He told them that they should stop neglecting poor people and stop abusing and mistreating people, that they should live in a place of justice and that they should strive toward loving the Lord. And he was over and over again calling them out. In fact, he would say, an enemy nation's going to come in and destroy you. They didn't like hearing what he said. So while he was not popular, he was famous. Everybody knew Isaiah. Isaiah was sort of the poster prophet for Advent because he said some stuff that you and I both have heard. We've heard some of the scriptures today. You're probably pretty familiar with these teachings, but listen to me, Hardy Street. Let's just set the stage for all of our Advent series. Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus emerges on the scene. And listen to some of the beautiful words that ring with hope that he shared. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. So turn there. We'll have it on the screen as well. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him what? Emmanuel. And what does that mean? Those of us that have studied it. God with us. God's going to come and be with you. They had longed for God to be with them. God had dwelled with them in the tabernacle. He had dwelled with them in the temple. And now God speaks to Isaiah in a dark, dark time and says, guess what? God is coming to be with us yet again. A little later, he wrote these words in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and following. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Folks, can you imagine living in a day long before social media, long before digital um, or, or any other written information for that much, uh, and hearing a message like that? All of a sudden, your heart would begin to beat fast. All of a sudden, you would say, there is hope. It may be a faint heartbeat, but there's hope. Isaiah has spoken that God is coming. Isaiah has spoken that our king will reign. Isaiah has spoken that Messiah is sure. And if you begin to think about that, Isaiah didn't fully even understand it. I mean, you think about it. He probably understood some of it because he'd studied the nature of God. But there was something in his heart that said, is this going to happen in my lifetime? Or maybe he was wise enough to say, you know what? God oftentimes stretches out his plan over generations. Perhaps it won't be in my lifetime, but there is still, I want you to say the word with me, H-O-P-E, hope. Hope may be, but besides the name Jesus, hope is perhaps the sweetest word in all of scriptures to this pastor's heart. I love the word hope. 
That may be the fundamental difference between a believer and a lost person is that we have hope. We have real, genuine hope. We have a confident expectation that what God said is going to happen. And as we look back this Advent to all of those centuries of promise and then the promise fulfilled, we can with great, great confidence and assurance say we know Jesus is coming again. Now, as we think about this all together, let's turn our attention to the New Testament into the Christmas story. Turn to Luke chapter 1. We're not going to read all of this passage, but I want you to at least mark it. We most often turn to Luke 2 to tell the Christmas story, but we see the emergence of hope coming in Luke chapter 1. Isaiah's filled with hope, and for us, his vision of God with us still ought to fuel hope in you and me 2,700 years later. So in Luke chapter 1, there's a man named Zechariah. He's a priest. He is a faithful man of God. He worked in the temple. He studied the scriptures. He knew that God had promised Messiah. And it says that on one ordinary day when he was working in the temple, an angel appeared to him. And this angel came and spoke to him in an incredible way. You see, 400 years, listen, listen. 400 years, the people of Israel have had no prophetic word. It's called the silent years or the intertestamental period. Between the prophet Malachi and the book of Matthew, God goes radio silent. And just because he's not speaking doesn't mean he's not working. He established world governments and a system of roads, and he brings Rome to the place where the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, would bring a common language that would take the gospel to the ends of the earth. God was preparing everything, and at just the right time, Jesus was going to show up. You see, as we consider what had happened, now an angel shows up to this priest. It scared him to death. I'm always amazed that angels almost always say before anything else, do not be afraid. Yeah, right. That's the last thing that I'm thinking. It says that he was terrified. He was trembling. He was afraid. And in his fear, all of a sudden, the angel says, you and your wife are going to have a child. And your child is going to be one who would go before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And he knew the significance. He knew that the prophets had said there would be a forerunner. One would come just before Messiah. So all of a sudden, hope is born again in Israel. It's been dark. It's been silent. Rome is ruling. Everything has been so difficult. It has been illegal to be a Jew. You could not observe uh, many of the things that you long for, like Sabbath or even owning a copy of the Torah. You could be killed for those things in this period of time. There was great persecution that had happened. And now God speaks and says, the forerunner is coming and your wife is going to have that child. You can read the rest of the story. You know he was stricken um, uh, silent. He couldn't speak until the baby was born, but John the Baptist would be born. All of the Old Testament prophecies are about to be fulfilled. This son would be the one to prepare the way for Messiah. Hope on earth at its deepest levels had come. Hope in Israel on its deepest level had come at least to one man. He was overwhelmed. Now, some of you are saying, Pastor, that's all fine and well and good. What about me? What about us? I mean, that, that's good. They were in a silent, dark period, and they were hoping that God would do something, but they weren't battling cancer. They weren't dealing with a pandemic. 
their spouse wasn't killed in a war on the other side of the globe or their spouse didn't walk out on them. They didn't lose their job without warning and bills to pay and debt piling up and the kids hoping for Christmas presents and meals on the table. No matter what kind of problems and struggles any of you today are facing, I want you to hear this very clearly. No matter what kind of season of darkness or pain you're in, let me encourage you, do not abandon hope. Do not abandon hope. And here's why. Hope is still alive, even in the darkest places of pain in our lives, even in the most hopeless of circumstances. Hope is alive. Why? Because God is, say it, with us. Say it again. God is with us. Do you believe that? If God is with you, then there is hope. Hope springs eternal. How can we know though? I want to give you three very quick thoughts as we wrap this up, as we consider these thoughts together. I want to give you three ways where we can rekindle and connect to actual hope, confident expectation. Number one, our hope is based in God's word. Our hope is based in God's word. If you begin to think about this, it's his written word that he has left us. We'll get to number three in just a bit. Let's stick with number one. The first hope is based in God's word. Part of God with us, look, part of God with us is the written word that he left us. He gave us his word, and because of that, we have a piece of who he is. And they're beacons of hope. They are part of him. They're reminders that can penetrate our hearts and our spirit. The reminder that God's word gives us is this, that no matter how bleak today looks, tomorrow has hope. Let me give to you a verse of scripture, Psalm 139. I'll I'll simply read it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn or if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. That would make a good song, wouldn't it, Brother Wes? He'll hold us. And if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day for the darkness is as light to you. God sees and knows exactly where you are. And somebody walked into this place today and you're carrying a weight that you seem to think is insurmountable. You say, it is crushing me and God has forgotten my address. He doesn't know where I live. No, you need to know there is no place you can escape from the presence of God. And when you turn to him. His word tells you that he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And so base your hope not on your ability to believe, not on the quality or the quantity of your belief, not on your feelings. Base your hope on the word of God. And as you base your hope on God's true word, you can say, I have with confidence the ultimate promise that he's coming again. I have the ultimate promise that there is a day that he will wipe away every tear. Did you listen to the words you sang this morning? We sang about victory in Jesus. We sang the hymn of heaven that one day we will bow at his feet and we will sing with a thousand generations that worthy is the lamb. That's a promise from the word of God. And folks, when we put our hope there, you see the source of truth is critical. 
There are a lot of people that make up religious constructs and and ideas and people try to figure out what life is like and they try to create some hope for themselves. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Why? Because the Word of God tells me that it is His shed blood, His death that offers me life. Amen? Can you feel the hope in the words of the psalmist? He says, where can I go? Nowhere. I cannot flee. You're not alone. God with us means that you're never alone and nothing, nothing can ever separate you from him. And scripture's filled with stories just like that. Number two, I want you to see this. Our hope is built on God's character. Our hope is built on God's character. The second way we can re connect and rekindle hope in our lives is to put our focus there on his character. There's a small story in the book of Mark, Mark chapter 5. You probably know it. Jesus has been going from one place to another. He's been healing. He's been teaching. And there is a woman that approaches him. She approaches him with great hope in her heart. She's been bleeding for 12 years. We don't know all of the circumstance. We do know that it has caused her great pain, great shame. She's been to doctors. She's been to others to try to find healing. She can't go to the temple because she is now considered unclean. And so she's cut off from God and cut off from people. And the press of the crowd would not deter her. She said, if I can only get to him, if I can get to him, if Jesus really is who he says he is, he can heal me. And so she comes and she presses into that place. And for time's sake, just in telling the story, she touches the hem of his garment and healing goes forth from him. And he says, who touched me? All of his disciples said, are you kidding me? You're pressed into a crowd. But he knew and she knew. And I want you to see this. He met her with deep, deep compassion. He met her with deep compassion. It says in the top of that passage of Scripture, Matthew 5, or excuse me, Mark 5, somewhere around verse 21, 22, that a woman came into the crowd. And then when he comes to the place of speaking to her, he addresses her as daughter. Don't miss that. She came in a nameless, faceless woman, broken, bleeding, hurting. And she left a daughter of the Most High. He met her with great compassion. I want you to see this. I want you to understand very, very pointedly that Jesus Christ connects with us deeply and directly as God with us and the healing and the peace and the freedom that come from his life will change your life. This is our God. That's his character. He's worthy. He was and still is God with us. Let me read something I just jotted down this week. Jesus fulfilled Israel's hope for Messiah when he arrived at the first Christmas. Jesus fulfilled humanity's hope for victory when he overcame death and the resurrection at the first Easter. And one day, Jesus will ultimately fulfill all hope and complete God's work of restoration and creation. I love this. This is the promise he left right before he ascended. He said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And that ought to be for you and me a promise worthy of fueling all of our hope. Maybe you are in difficulty today. Maybe you are struggling today. And maybe you find yourself in a melancholy place. I understand that the holidays are not always the happiest times. Sometimes they're the hardest times. Some of you have lost loved ones and you've got an empty seat at a holiday gathering. And I understand that those things are realities. But there is hope. 
Why is there hope? God is with us. Number three, I want you to see this. Our hope is based on God's faithfulness. I bet you guessed that one, didn't you? We can focus on hope by focusing on his faithfulness. This is going to be a little strange to you, but I think it'll set some folks free. It'll hopefully get you on a path. If you begin to think about this, has God worked in your life, yes or no? How many of you by uplifted hand can say, God has worked in my life before? If you can say that truthfully, what were those moments and memories when you experienced him working? It may have been recently. It may have been a long time ago. Jonathan and Courtney, I know from our time of church planning, there's story after story after story. It seems like every day God does something new and fresh in that environment. And God's worked in your life. Remember those things that he's done. And the reason why, when you remember those times, you had no doubt he was there and he was working The reason that those memories have anything to do with hope is this. Gratitude breeds hope. When you're thankful for the things that God has done, it fosters hope. When you acknowledge and appreciate the things that he's done, it brings hope. Listen to these words from Jeremiah in the book of Lamentations, a a very familiar passage to many of us. He's an Old Testament prophet in one of those dark seasons in the big picture journey of hope. And he says, yet this I call to mind. And therefore, I have what? Hope. Come on, guys, get with me. He says, I call this to mind, and therefore I have what? Hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Wes, write that down. Another good song right there in the making, right? He goes on to say, great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Did you catch that at the beginning? What Jeremiah said was, when I remember what God has done for me, it gives me hope. When I look back, I can look forward. When I look back, I can look up. Maybe some of you need to reflect today and look back and say, this is what God has done so far. Maybe you need to sit down with your kids over this Advent season and just recount the stories of what God has done so faithfully. Think about this. My hope is not built in my ability to have faith. My hope is grounded. It's centered in his word, in his character, and in his faithfulness. When I go, God, you hadn't failed me so far and you're not gonna fail me yet. God, you promised Abraham, you promised Jacob, you promised Isaac, you promised Joseph, you promised David, you promised Isaiah and Zechariah and Malachi. Over and over and over again, you said, I am coming to dwell with you. I will send a deliverer. In fact, it goes back to Genesis 3.15, maybe one of the most significant Bible verses in all of the Bible. He very pointedly declared spiritual warfare and said from that point forward that Jesus would be wounded, but he would be victorious. He said the enmity, hatred between the seed of the woman and the seed of the enemy and the seed of the woman, Jesus, who would come, born of a virgin, would crush the head of the enemy that would bruise his heel. And as we look at this big picture story, all of those things may sound strange, but it is the description of life. Advent is a perfect time for you to join in the journey of hope because we're still in it, aren't we? It's not over yet. We're not at the end. We hadn't said, well, everything is fine and wonderful. No, we're still in a place in a day of tears. We're still in a a place in a day of melancholy and of depression and difficulty. 
But there's coming a day, no more sickness, no more sadness, no more death, no more dying, no more separation. And eternal life is only possible through Jesus. Maybe you feel like you're drowning. Maybe you feel like John Aldridge, who's out there in the middle of nowhere in the darkest of night, and sharks are swimming around you, and you say, nobody even knows that I'm here. Friends, during uncertain times like these, find hope in Jesus. No matter what happens here, rescue has come. Jesus has come. Brother West and our musicians are going to come and they're going to share in a closing song. Let me give to you a benediction, if I may. Romans 15, 13. I think we perhaps have it for the screen. Everybody stand together. The Apostle Paul, who was beaten for his faith, he was shipwrecked at times, he was left for dead, he was thrown into prison, a man who could lose hope greatly. He would find himself saying these words to people that he dearly loved, to believers. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. What dynamic words for us today. I asked Brother West if he could lead us in just closing out our service together in a song. And we're going to do that together just as a way for us to start this Advent season. My prayer for each and every person here is that you would experience the truth and the life-changing power of Jesus Christ in the days ahead. That God would take this Advent season and he would make it transformational in your heart and in your life. Amen? Before we go, let me make one quick final announcement. Some of you have been following along. We've done an Advent devotional that's kind of helping people think about presents. We do have a limited supply of these left now or that we've gotten in, an extra shipment. They're going to be in the church office, and if you would like one today, you certainly can come by and pick one of those up. They make a gift for somebody else. But just spend time with the Lord seeking Him as we consider today hope. God with us brings hope. God's Word, His character, and His faithfulness. Brother West, lead us as we sing.